Hello, Hope City Church. It's good to see you, so many of you. I think uh, Katie leaned over and said that we actually have some overflow seating in in our loft right now. So many people watching online. What an exciting day. I like it when the church is full. I think good things are happening when the church is full. So good to see you. Thank you for being here. And um, I am going to jump into the sermon in just a second, but I want to say two things just because I want to. Um, (laughs) The first thing is, I think it's so cool the way that our church is partnering with Habitat for Humanity. It's cool for a lot of reasons, but number one, The biggest reason is because it's not something that came from the pastor or the staff. It's actually something that came from the heart of of some people in the church and then, hey, said, hey, can can we do this? And uh, and we were able to come alongside. I just think it's so amazing. Sometimes, I know not everybody feels this way, but I think sometimes you feel like there's only two or three things that you're allowed to do for God, like preach, sing, teach kids, change diapers, work the parking lot. That's five, but you get my point. And, but like, God wants to use you and the skill sets that he's given you in all kinds of ways. And if that's painting and hammering nails and raising money and uh, being kind to people. And so I just think that's great that, that people were able, you know, those volunteers and the money that was given was able to help. I, I, I love that. That was the highlight for me. I got to see that in the first service. That was so great. And then the second thing is, uh, I know earlier the, the, the guys were talking about at the movies, and it's been several years since we've done this. I know for a lot of you, this is the first time you'll be a part of our at the movie series. Really want to encourage you to, to be here for that. What we're doing is we're taking, for those of you who kind of slid in here late, we're taking uh, movies and we're using them as modern day parables. Because the Bible tells us, like, for example, in Mark, the Bible tells us that um, Jesus just taught telling stories, just parables, stories all the time. And they would get frustrated, like, will you just tell us like A or B, yes or no? And he'd like, you know, it reminds me of a guy who was planting a tree and he would just tell these stories. And we think, uh, you know, we think that movies are kind of like modern day parables. So we're not just watching movies, we're watching movies and then we're trying to figure out how it connects to the gospel of Jesus. And uh, it's just gonna be, it's gonna be a really, really fun time. It's, how many people know it's okay to have fun in church? Anybody know that it's okay to have fun at church? All right, it's okay. I, don't, I know your grandmother said it's not, but it is. You know, we try to have fun uh, as much as we can. So uh, my name's Jason. I'm the pastor here. Thank you. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, hopefully I'll get a chance to do that. If I'm biting into a hamburger when you walk up, just give me a second to chew up my food and then we'll say, hey, and we'll talk, okay? Uh, last week, we started a, a new series called Limits. We're taking three weeks just to talk about how to embrace God's limits. We need to embrace God's limits. And, but we also are talking about how we can break through the limits we put on ourselves, because we do that as well. And the, iron, the, the, the irony is that a lot of times we flip them and we reject God's limits and we totally embrace the limits that we put on ourselves. We wanna, we wanna flip that. We wanna embrace God's limits. We talked about that last week. The limits are always about love. If you're not compelled by love, you'll never understand limits. But if you're compelled by love, you'll understand limits. Limits make sense with love. And so God puts all kinds of limits in our life for our good. We talked about that. If, if you weren't here, check that out. Um, but then today, I want to flip that. I want to talk on the other side about the limits we put on ourselves that are not God. And sometimes we spiritualize them and we make them sound like God. Uh, if you were raised in a heavily religious environment, it's possible that all kind of limits were explained to you. Like God said, don't make God mad, God. And it, it really had nothing to do with God. It was just cultural or tradition or something like that. And so we have these limits we put on ourselves. And so that's what we're gonna talk about today. And I think it's, it's fitting because everyone in the room has limits that you've placed on yourself. 
You have limits you've placed on yourself. And there are different names for these limits um, in psychology. The big name for this is called limiting beliefs. Maybe you've heard about this. And some people call them life rules, but whatever you call them, they are these deeply held beliefs or assumptions that you have about yourself or the world without any evidence. You believe them with no factual evidence. You just believe them and they prevent growth. And that's kind of our working definition. Uh, we kind of put together a couple definitions and merged them all together. But limiting beliefs are deeply held beliefs or assumptions you have about yourself and the world without evidence that prevent growth. And you have these and I have these. And the irony is that we collect these limits in in an attempt to protect ourselves. Most of, just so you know, most of the uh, limiting beliefs you have about yourself, you picked up in childhood, whether you realize it or not, you picked them up in childhood. I did, you did. And, and they were a defense mechanism. They were something we picked up because we didn't want to feel that pain anymore or feel that rejection anymore. Or um, it's how we define success or how we define being a man or being a woman or being a mom or whatever it is. And so we picked these up and we started putting them in our lives to protect ourselves. And, and the problem is that Maybe that was healthy in the short term, but eventually we're supposed to set those limits to the side, but we don't. We make them a part of our lives. And then for a lot of us in the room, we spend our next 30, 40, 50, 60 years being defined or living our life by the limits that we picked up potentially uh, in, in childhood. And I love the way uh, that John Acuff talks about this in his book, Finish, um, chapter 9. I read it all the time, just chapter nine. I, I have it sitting by my table and I just pick it up and read chapter nine. The book's good. Chapter nine's worth the price of the book. But he calls them secret rules. These are rules that you live your life by that you don't even know are the rules for your life. But we all have them. Everyone in here has a set of rules that you are living your life by and you don't even know that you have them. That's why they're called secret rules because they're even a secret to you. He gave a couple of examples. For example, he says, um, he says a lot of people have uh, life rules or secret rules about success. Let me just give you a couple examples of these. Is, is that if I were to say to you, hey, you know, do you want to be successful? Define that however you want. Doesn't matter how you define it. You define it however you want. Do you want to be successful? You would say, yes, I want to be successful. If I said, are you doing the things you need to do to be successful? You would say, yes, I'm doing the things I need to be successful. But down, deep down is some held beliefs, deeply held beliefs about success that you don't know you have. They're rules. For example, some people have the rule that um, rich people are really unhappy. Maybe you've said this before, like, I mean, they're like multimillionaire. Like, I don't even know how they sleep at night. Like really comfortably on a great mattress <laughs> with really high quality sheets. Um, yeah, they, they, they probably sleep pretty, pretty comfortably. Are there some wealthy people who are unhappy? I'm sure there are, just like there are poor people who are unhappy. But somewhere along the line, we picked up this rule that you know, wealthy people act happy, but they're really unhappy. Or maybe another rule about success that, that John gives is he talks about how that if you're really successful, you obviously had to take advantage of people to get there. This is very prevalent in our society right now. That you find somebody who's very successful, and a lot of us have a secret rule that to be really successful, you've got to make a trade-off. You've got to compromise. You've got to take advantage of people. And so you see someone who's really successful, and you go, oh, well, I would never do what they did to get there, right? Now, what does this do? This is one example of how it all but guarantees that you won't 
accomplish the success you want to accomplish, whatever that is. You define it however you want. And the reason you won't, won't do that is because you believe that someone who achieves that level of success is either really unhappy or really compromised or takes advantage of people. And you don't want to be the type of person who's really unhappy, compromised, and takes advantage of people. So the moment you get ready to accomplish or achieve some level of success, this secret rule in your life that you don't even know that you have helps you to sabotage what it is that you're trying to accomplish. And you can't figure out why it keeps happening. It's because you have some rules that you live your life by. Let me give you another example. Uh, John gives this in the book, but he says that uh, he talks to a lot of females who have a secret rule about health and they assume that, that skinny people are trashy. He actually uses the word slutty, but my wife said to say trashy. And, um, and, and, and so there, for a lot of people, you know, if you grew up in a home where uh, there was a certain size or certain clothes that you wore or whatever else, you look at people who are uh, smaller than you and you have some life rules about how they look or what they wear. And you don't even realize that those judgments you're making about people are based on some rules that you picked up. And so there is a certain level of health that you believe you'll never get to and you shouldn't get to because people who get to that level of health, there's something about them. And it's a rule that you have. It's not based on anything. It's just a rule that you have. So these are just a few examples of, of how we have deep inside of us buried years and years and years of these, these misbeliefs, these wrong beliefs that we have, limiting ideas for your life, and you don't even realize you're following these rules. And the sad part is we have these rules that we set up and they, they, they predetermine our misery and our unhappiness. Because if we accomplish what we want to accomplish, we think it says something about us. And if we sabotage ourselves and we don't accomplish what we want to accomplish, it says something about us. It's a lose-lose situation. And so you know that girlfriend that you have who's been with that loser for nine years and they're engaged, but they're never going to get married. She has a secret rule. And her secret rule that she doesn't even realize she has is she doesn't deserve better. She doesn't deserve any better. She's lucky to have anybody at all. Or that relative, that guy that you have in your family who hates his job and he's been whining about his job for 20 years. The reason he's still whining about that job but hasn't changed jobs is because he has a secret rule. And the secret rule is that if you're happy, it's not work. It's only work if you're miserable. And people who actually enjoy what they do really don't understand how it's really supposed to be. This is life rules that, that we have. And the Bible, whether you realize it or not, is filled with secret rules. For example, Moses, and we're gonna talk about him in just a second, but Moses um, had a, a secret rule. If you know the story of Moses, he, he grew up in Pharaoh's home, uh, but he, he killed a man and, and, and hid the body and ran away when he got discovered. And so he spent the next 40 years living with a secret rule that he didn't even know he had. And here was Moses' secret rule. Because of what I've done, I'm disqualified from ever doing anything again. This was his secret rule. I've got to stay hidden and not try to do anything or be anybody or be known or, or be recognized by anybody. And God shows up and says, no, we're going to confront that. that. That's one example. Gideon was another. An angel shows up and says, you're a mighty warrior. But what was Gideon's secret rule? Gideon's secret rule was, I, how could you call me mighty warrior? My clan, my family is the, is the lowest, and I'm the lowest in the lowest family that I'm from. And so Gideon's secret rule was, because of my last name, there are certain things I cannot do. It was a secret rule. 
Jonah had a secret rule that there were people who were so bad they would never be interested in God. God shows up and confronts that secret rule and says, I want you to go to the people you swear would never be interested in God and tell them about me. Confronts it. Remember Martha? Martha in the Gospels, um, she had this secret rule that she was only worth what she could produce. That what God cared about the most in Martha's life was how productive she was, how responsible she was, how hospitable that she was. What did Jesus do? Jesus confronted this limiting belief. He confronted this secret rule in Martha's life that says, Martha, I'm not concerned with your productivity or your responsibility. I wanna get to have a relationship with you. So the good news is that limiting beliefs don't disqualify you and disqualify me. And that's great news because we would be disqualified. But the bad news is that limiting beliefs do limit you and they do limit me. And they're so ingrained in us that it usually takes an angelic visit or some deep revelation from God to give us the type of awareness to even recognize and to confront these things. That's why Psalm 139 is such a beautiful promise and such a beautiful invitation. Then it says, uh, he says, search me, O God, and point out anything in me that offends you. And I think it's fair to say that a lot of the limiting beliefs, a lot of the secret rules that you and I have embraced are in some ways offensive to God because God created you. I see this with my kids all the time. There's this like really weird tension between at moments, my kids being the most arrogant children ever known to humanity I'm the greatest dad, I'm the most awesome, you know, and I'm like, whoa, dial it back a little, okay? But then, then they flip and go to the other side. Maybe your kids do this and like, I'm stupid, I'm terrible, I, I'm, I'm never gonna figure it out, I'm never gonna get it, your kids do this too. And as their father, my heart hurts when they say those things about themselves. Now, I'm not their creator, but I was a contributor Right, and so I, I I I don't want my children to to say these things about themselves. You know why? Because it's not true. So if you do what I do, you say, "Stop that! You're not dumb. You're not stupid." Like, hey, it's okay, and and I try to reinforce it. I think in some ways the limiting beliefs that we have are offensive to our heavenly Father because He created us, and what we view sometimes as limitations is really just an invitation from God to move beyond our comfort zone, to potentially see Him work in a powerful way in our lives. Well, how do we get these limiting beliefs? How do we get these secret rules? There's a lot of different ways that that we could answer that question. I think for some of us, they're assigned to us. We've talked about this before that, you know, for a lot of us, like the moment we were old enough and and able to kind of start putting two and two together, we started seeing the world a certain way and, and, and things were just kind of assumed and it's just, this is how it is. And so we, we pick that up. Uh, others were affirmed in us, right? Uh, that, that there were things that you did when you were younger, mostly good, but sometimes bad, and they were so affirmed or got you so much attention that you picked up a secret rule that this is who you are and this is what you do. This is something I'm working through right now with the help of a great counselor and the Holy Spirit, like figuring out how at 37, you don't have to live life by the rules that you were living life by at 17. Some of you need to hear that. That, that you, you're still stuck trying to be what everybody said you were awesome at as a kid. And you need to let that go. But it was affirmed in you. Some of it's modeled for us, right? Like you, don't know, you didn't know that you could 
have a, a drama-free life because you never saw that possible. Or that you could save money. Or that you didn't have to spend money. Or, or, or that you could be happy. Or that you didn't have to be bitter or judgmental. All of these things were potentially modeled for you. And now, deep into our heart at such a deep level that we just react and don't even realize we have them in there are these secret limiting beliefs. So what do we do with that? Well, there's a, there's a few verses I want to read to you out of the Old Testament. It's in Numbers 13. Pretty popular, pretty famous story. We've read it a few times around here. Uh, but it's in Numbers 13. It's about Moses, who we mentioned earlier, and um, the Israelites, God's people, that Moses brought out of Egypt. And if you have a Bible, you can grab that, or a phone, you can grab that. If not, it'll be up on the screen for you. But let me just give you a little bit of backstory that Moses had, has led the people out of slavery in Egypt. So for 430 years, 430 years, generation after generation after generation after generation, these Israelite people lived life a certain way by a certain set of rules. 430 years of rules of class systems and being defined by productivity and, and your worth and who you are and what you're allowed to do and who's authority and who's not authority. They got 430 years of this, but Moses comes in and, and, and God delivers them out of Egypt. And now they've been in the desert for just a few weeks. So check this out. You've got 430 years of history and DNA and customs and rules and you've got a few weeks of living in freedom delivered by God. Tell me if this doesn't sound like your life. That they are literally free, but all they know, the only life that they know is a life defined by the customs and traditions and rules that they, that they were told. So they're free, but they don't know how to live free. They don't know how to be who God's called them to be because all they know how to be is a slave in Egypt the way their dad was and his dad was and his dad was and his dad was. And so God will just tell them to just like take it easy in the desert. But all they know is that I have to make a certain amount of bricks every day. They don't know how to just do nothing. They don't know how to rest. They don't know how to enjoy. And so God's giving them all of these ways to try to help them to live in freedom. And they have 430 years of limiting beliefs and secret rules. A lot of preachers say it like this. They say that God got, got the Israelites out of Egypt, but now he had to get Egypt out of them. And we, we've been talking a lot about this as a church lately, as a staff lately, about how we can do a better job of, of this as a church because, you know, so many of you come and you, you commit your life to Jesus. You, you get saved and you meet Jesus and you are literally free. You literally have the power of God living inside of you. But, but see if this sounds familiar. Jesus lives in your heart, but grandma and grandpa live in your bones. You know what I'm talking about? And so you're trying to be the person that God's created you to be, but you've got generation after generation of rules and customs and the way you handle things. You know what I'm talking about? And so, yes, Jesus is our only hope. And yes, we come to Jesus, but we, we don't want to just get saved. We want to be free. We want to live the Christian life and live free and not be bound by, by these deep-rooted beliefs that are not true. Not true. And so th this particular day... Um, Moses is going to send some spies into the promised land. If you're familiar with the story, they call it a promised land because God had already promised it to them. All they had to do was go and take it. But Moses trying to be responsible and, and do the right thing. He sends 12 spies in to look at the land just to see if, 
you know, there's anything they need to know and make plans and, you know, there's going to be a war and they want to have their strategy and all that stuff. And so Moses sends these spies in and they check it out and they come back and they say, it's as amazing as God said it was. However, it's going to be harder than we thought, which is almost always the way it works with God, it seems like. And so in Numbers chapter 13, this is the conversation that happens in verse 30. Caleb, who was one of the spies, tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. He said, let's go at once and take the land. He said, we can certainly conquer it. That's a life rule right there. That's somebody with a, without a scarcity mindset. 31, but the other men who had explored the land with him disagreed. We can't go up against them. They are stronger than we are. That's a life rule right there. You can never defeat anybody who's stronger than you. So they spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites. The land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. All the people we saw were huge. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. Next to them, we felt, we felt, I have that underlined in my Bible. I don't know if you can mark your Bible up, but we felt, we felt it, we felt it, we felt it. We felt like grasshoppers and that's what they thought too. Those six words are such an interesting statement. They say, and that's what they thought too. We felt like grasshoppers. We felt insignificant. We felt small. We felt incapable. And that's what they thought too. Now, you know this and I know this. They don't know what the giants thought because no one went and asked the giants what they thought. They just assumed that how they felt was how other people felt about them. You do it and, and I do it. It's one of the enemy's most popular tools and weapons against us to convince us that how we see ourselves is how everyone else sees us too. Everyone agrees with our assessment of ourself. And I wanna, I wanna do something here. I wanna show you a video. It's about a five minute video. It's, it's a little bit longer than we would normally show, but it's so powerful. I actually, we, we watched this like six years ago uh, and this, this week, as I was working on the sermon, I, I, I found this again. I thought, man, we got to we gotta watch this. This was a video that was released 2016, so five years ago, 2016 by the company Dove. And it was viewed about 67 million times. They took it down. They put it back up. Maybe now almost 100 million times. They did this little commercial slash documentary thing talking about the power of how we view ourselves versus how other people view us. And so it's about five minutes long. If you're watching online, they'll play it for you. They're gonna play it for us here in the room. I'm gonna step aside and then I'll be back, okay? I'm a forensic artist. I was trained at the FBI Academy in 1993 in composite art. Worked for the San Jose Police Department as the police artist from 1995 to 2011. We didn't really know what we were doing. So that was nerve wracking for everyone. I showed up to a place I'd never been and walked into this big warehouse. And at the very end, there was a guy with his back to me with a drafting board. I had a curtain separating me so that I don't see him. Uh, we'll begin. First of all, tell me about your hair. Um, brown, long, I guess a little bit past my shoulders. Your jaw? My mom told me I had a big jaw. Yeah, they're brown eyebrows, dark brown eyebrows. Okay. I didn't know what he was doing, but then I could tell after several questions that he was drawing me. Tell me about your chin. I guess I haven't really compared it to anyone else's chin, but um, especially when like I smile, I just feel like it kind of 
protrudes a little bit. Hmm. What would be your most prominent feature? I kind of have a fat, rounder face. The older I've gotten, the more freckles I've gotten. You sort of realize, oh man, now I, I have to talk about myself and, and, and think about my looks. I'm 40, so I'm starting to get a little bit of the crow's feet thing going on. Um. Once I get a sketch, I say thank you very much, and then they leave. I don't see them. I still didn't know. All I had been told before the sketch was to get friendly with this other woman, Chloe. Today I'm going to ask you some questions about uh, a person you met earlier, and I'm going to ask you some general questions about their face. She was thin, so you could see her cheekbones. And her chin was a nice, thin chin. Mm. The women were really critical about moles or scars or things like that, and yet they were describing just a normal, beautiful person. She had nice eyes. They lit up when she spoke and were very expressive. The length of the nose, what is that like? It's short. Short? Yeah, cute nose. Her face was fairly thin. She had blue eyes, very nice blue eyes. Okay. So here we go. Mm. So this is your self-described image. And then somebody else described you and I did this sketch. thing about having dark circles and crow's feet around my eyes and that was not part of the sketch at all that the stranger did. The stranger's was a little more like gentle. closed off and fatter. She just looks kind of shut down. Sadder, too. The second one is more beautiful. You think they're catching more of that from you? Yeah. 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 She looks more open and um, friendly and see myself, but I think I still have oh, some way to go. <laughs> I have some work to do on myself. Do you think you're more beautiful than you say? Yeah. What a powerful display of the way we view ourselves and the way other people view us. And that video was solely based on outer appearance, but isn't it true that we could have done that same experiment with any part of our lives? And we would have been more critical of ourselves, more limiting of ourselves. And we're convinced that everyone else in the world sees us exactly the way we see ourselves, but they don't. 
One of the reasons they don't is because they don't even think about you. You, you, don't, you think everyone is, but they're not. They're thinking about themselves. But another reason is because we only notice our flaws. We only notice what's wrong with us. We only notice where we should improve. And the reason that is, is because of sin. The reason that is, is because Adam and Eve ate that stupid apple and, and, and the sin that got into humanity sabotages our life, sets us up to fail, makes us not like who we are, but who we are is created by God. Who we are is the creation, uh, the, the, someone that the creator of the universe calls a friend of God. And so what I want to challenge you to do for these last few moments that we have is I'm going to challenge you to start changing the way that you speak. We've called it the third word before. This principle is so powerful that if I was to take your phone and and hit record and hang it around your neck and you were to go for 30 days recording every word that you said and we took it and we isolated it to only the words you say about yourself. Do you know what you would hear more than anything else is you would hear what we call the third word. What's the third word? The third word is not. You would hear the word not. I am, third word, not. I'm not good enough smart enough. I'm, I'm not a people person. I'm not good at speaking in front of people. I'm not good with money. I'm not a good mom. I'm not patient enough with my kids. I'm not productive enough. I'm not. I mean, if we, if we played this back, we, all of us, we would just hear all the things we keep saying to ourselves that we are not. And I am not eventually evolves into, I will never, I will never. How could you? Cause you're not. If you're not, you'll never. And so you start saying, I'll never get married. I'll never have kids. I'll never get clean. I'll never get out of debt. I'll never find a job. I'll never not be depressed. I'll never be as good as them. And I will not, and I will never begins to dominate our minds. And so of course we feel like grasshoppers. Of course we look at what's out ahead of us and we say, man, I just feel so small. But what would happen if we begin to replace the third word with some different words, some words that were actually true? Like instead of I am not, what if we changed it to I am more. I'm more than a conqueror through Jesus, Romans 8 says. But it doesn't say I'm more than a conqueror because I got a couple of life hacks and convinced myself of it. It says I'm more than a conqueror because of, uh, through Christ who loved me. Or instead of I am not or I will never, what if we said he is able? Ephesians says he's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, not according to our self-discipline or our willpower, but according to his power that is at work within us. So many of you listening to me right now have convinced yourself that you will never be able to be anything more than you are right now. I personally believe that's insulting to God. I'm not saying that you can dunk a basketball just because you're like, I'm gonna dunk a basketball. I'm not saying that you'll be a millionaire. I'm not saying that you're going to climb the corporate ladder, but those are not the things that are the most important things about us anyway. That's us using the world's standards and trying to apply them to what God wants for our life. But some of you in here, you're like, Jason, I'll never be able to break free from this addiction. I've been doing this for 50 years. I'll never be able to see myself that way. My whole life, my mom, she's still alive. All she ever does is bring up what's wrong with me. 
I'll, I'll never be able to get it together. Every time I get close, it just always falls apart of me. I've just learned to make do. I know my flaws. I know who I am, and I've learned to make do with them. But when you come to Jesus Christ, the Bible teaches us that we are a new creature, a new creation, that Jesus didn't come to die to make you a better version of a flawed version of yourself. He made you brand new. And so any of the limits that are defining your life right now are limits that you brought with you from your old life into the new one. It's that grandma and grandpa in your bones and the DNA because the Bible says that the power that raised Christ from the dead, that's a lot of power. The power that raised Christ from the dead now lives inside of you. And so what, what, what if, what if instead of embracing the third word, thinking about what we're not and what we're never, what if, if we changed it up, up? And I love this about God. This is one of my favorite things about the story of Moses is, is Exodus chapter three, verse 14. You probably know, I know this story, but Moses had run, run, killed the, the guy and, um, and so most historians say that the plagues in Egypt lasted about months. So, so let's go ahead and round, round up to 12. In the desert, 40 years, eight months, rounding up to a year for the plague. 41 years earlier, before these spies showed up and said, ah, we can't do it. 41 years earlier, Moses is walking out in the desert. He sees a bush that's on fire and, he, and, he, and God speaks to him from the bush. And God confronts his secret rule. And God says, you know what? you're not defined by the biggest mistake you ever made. The people you think wanna kill you, they, they don't even think about you. They're dead, they're gone. He confronts a secret rule. And he says, I want you to go confront Pharaoh because I want you to let my people go. And Moses does what we do. He just jumps right into the third word. I'm not, I'm not a good enough leader. I'm not a good enough speaker. I'm not credentialed. I'm not wanted in Egypt. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. And, and, and God's confronting all of his secret rules. And so Moses says to God, what am I gonna say when people wanna know why it's me or how? I'm going to pull this off. And in Exodus chapter three, verse 14, God, instead of using three words and, and the third word, God just uses two. And he says, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. How awesome is God that what dominates our mind is I am not, I am not, I am not, I am not. But God describes himself as I am. It's his name. It's his name. And so God tells Moses, after Moses gets done telling God all the things he is not, God just says, mic drop moment, I am, I am. And so if you are a believer, if your faith is in Jesus Christ, my advice to you is totally different than somebody whose advice, or whose faith is not in Jesus. Because if your faith is not in Jesus today, your situation is very hopeless. Your only hope is yourself. You better figure out a hack. You better figure out a philosophy. You better psych yourself up and figure out a discipline or a willpower or a course or a membership or a book. You better. It's your only hope. But if your faith is in Jesus, that's not your only hope. Christians don't believe self-help's that much help. If your faith is in Jesus Christ, we fully embrace our limits. The message today is not you are unlimited. 
you are more than enough. Look in the mirror and say, yes, I can. Yes, I can. Yes, I can. That's not the Christian message. The Christian message is you are totally limited. You aren't patient enough. You aren't talented enough. You aren't disciplined enough. You do keep failing. The Christian message is I am not, but I know I am. I'm not, but I know I am. So what if we changed our vocabulary? What if we put this on our phone? What if we put this on our mirror when we're looking in the mirror every morning or on our dashboard in our car or however it is we need to see it and to memorize it. And when those voices of the enemy, those limiting beliefs start popping up in our lives, we don't try to psych ourselves out and say, that's not true. That's not true. We embrace them and say, yeah, I'm not. But I know I am power of God has moved into my heart and in my life and he has made me a new creation. He's made me a new creation. And so we invite the Holy Spirit in. We invite God in. Psalm 139, search me, oh God, and point out all of those limiting secret rules in my life that keep holding me back that I have made noble or spiritual in some way to somehow make it sound like you don't want more for me. And God, help me to embrace everything that you have for me that is just beyond the comfort zone or the life that I believed I was never allowed to live. Let's pray. God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you, God, that uh, my worth is not based on how I'm able to get it together or how I see me or what I say about me or even what other people say about me. But God, my worth is defined based on what you do and what you did and what you say about me and how you see me, God. So God, I pray that you would help every person listening to my voice, listening, watching in the room right now. God, I pray that you would help us not to psych ourselves out in some way to try to convince us that we're not limited. God, help us to embrace that we are limited, but that the spirit of the unlimited God lives in us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.